Hi, everyone, and welcome to One Mic Night Podcast. My name is Marcos Luis. Today is One Mic Night Talk, where we talk about current events, politics, and issues that affect our community. Today, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and how it's impacted the U.S., the world, and more specifically, the Black and minority community and mental health. My guest today is a clinical psychotherapist. He's a consultant, he's a life coach. He helps to improve communities, uh, psychosocial development. He's been in practice for 10 years and is a clinical psychotherapeutic consultant with GMAD. Please welcome Shane M. Toll. Hello, Mr. Toll, how you doing? Good morning, Louis. How are you? It's been Good. A while. Yes, thank you so much for joining me here today. My pleasure. Appreciate your time, thank you. So I want to start out, uh, you know, just <laughs> very simply throwing out some facts, throwing out some numbers. We are in a pandemic, uh, worldwide cases, 38 million, 200. What's going on? Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I, and I think if the, the government could do a better job, the president could do a better job and leadership comes from the top. There's an old African saying that the fish rots from the head. Yes, absolutely. And this is a clear example of the fish rat rotting from the head. I think we are in a we are in a global pandemic. Yes, it is unbelievable what has happened within the last six months. But I think it's more one of the things that this pandemic has crystallize is something that you and I already knew in terms of healthcare and accessibility to healthcare for black and brown people and more so black and brown men yes. in terms of getting access to healthcare. And I really think over the summer, we have been caught up in a pandemic within a pandemic with the racial unrest mm. over George Floyd and yes. Everything that, that has been happening, the way our lives have changed in terms of we are not, this is the new normal. You can't hug, you can't touch, you've got to stay six feet apart, you have to wear masks, and people have been locked in their homes for months. People are, at this point, experiencing pandemic fatigue, which is a real thing, because you've changed your life so drastically, and you, you're trying to maintain that. But it is so out of the norm that it's hard to maintain that on a long-term basis, especially when we have no idea when this pandemic is going to be over. Right. All of that really excites us in a negative way, and our anxieties are have been escalated. It's been unreal. There's an uptake in drug use, alcohol, domestic violence, child abuse, because people are in a concentrated area for 24 hours, two, three months. And so all of those things, and if you think about how those things affect people in our community, because it's hard to social distance if you live in an apartment building. If you live in a project, it's hard to social distance. It really is, where are you going to go? Right. You know, you're... There are bullets flying everywhere. 
Right. Where, where and traditionally with, with black and brown people, you have multicultural families living together, yeah. living on top of each other in one apartment unit or one housing unit. So, yeah. 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 So that, that is why, especially in places like New York, where there's this concentrated multifamily unit living in like this concentrated small area, that we have been ravished by COVID-19. Right. Our communities, and unfortunately, certain zip codes are shutting them again because people are not being responsible. I, I, when you look at the adjacent communities that are the Jewish communities, I live in Bed-Stuy, so I'm in the middle of Crown Heights, Williamsburg, two heavily concentrated Jewish communities, and right. they are not being socially responsible. And I take that as a personal offense, that the way I practice is in social distancing and the adjacent neighborhoods are not doing that and are fighting back when the governor is asking them to do it. Right. That will have a profound impact on my people. So I really think that's an issue that really needs to be a public health issue that needs to be addressed because in the beginning of, the, of covid they were having these mass funerals and they were having their kids in the synagogues and they're schooling them, which truly was against the law. And I, I'm, I was very clear that if this was happening in the black community, they were going to those churches and put all of those children in foster care. Absolutely. And they're not addressing this issue in the Jewish community. Right. So that's is this, my is this a mentality of, of, of being an American? Because I know that other countries they, they slowed down, they curbed the virus right away. You look at New Zealand, they put, as soon as they found out, they put the country on lockdown. No one was permitted to do anything, anywhere. And then they were able to regain their financial and economic growth soon thereafter. Is it, is it from being American? Is it from being, you know, the, the ethnicities? What, what, what's the reasoning? How did, how did we get to this point where we have, you know, a million deaths? Uh, but I think the other countries have been wholly and globally responsible. Yes. Mm -hmm. Our occupant in, in, in our White House, uh, once again, the fish rots from the head, have taken this and make it a political issue yes. where wearing a mask becomes a red and blue issue. Mm. And we really need to make this an American issue where we the way we practice healthcare and the way we practice social distancing affects everybody right you have the science shows that wearing a mask is the only was one of the number one ways to safeguard yourselves and if the president doesn't wear a mask or he gets the top of the stairs and take his mask off and preaching that he's immune and Unfortunately, people listen to that. Right. And when they listen to that, they, re they react, they respond. And when you're in evil, all of these little fringe groups feel emboldened and feel empowered. And the racism is, is on the rise. This whole nationalism is on the rise. And it, a country that talks about democracy and freedom and being the shining light on the hill our our light is dull, is dim, is dim, right? Dull. Where we are not being responsible for each other. Exactly, and I think that's the bottom line. I think 
you know, it's, I think it's an American thing where we are self-centered. And I know specifically in New York, I find that because I've lived in different places around the U.S. I find the mentality of people in New York is a very self-centered mentality. Correct. So if you have that mentality, you don't care about what happens to other people. You don't care about wearing a mask. As long as your health is good and as long as you don't see it, you don't care. Mm -hmm. So I that's think that's where it all comes from. And where, where's Trump from? He's from New York. He's yeah. from the New York area. So his whole mentality, taking that to a federal to the U.S. level, has created hysteria, has created death, yeah. you know, and in this country. Disrupted the, the economy, the economy. And people's lives and and all of those things coupled with that were caught in a racial awakening yes. over the summer. Yes. Which having these conversations about Black Lives Matter and you know, I tell my white friends, yes, this is a real thing. I'm, I'm the father of a 25-year-old young man, mm -hmm. young black man, and I literally worry, like, when you get home, I need you to text me because I can't sleep if you don't. Yes. I'm my biggest fear that you're out there driving home, obeying, obeying the law, and the cop pulls you over and shoots you. Right. Explaining to him just in a space makes people uncomfortable. Right. Yes. And that's a true that's a true concern of people right now, you know, concerning Black Lives Matter. I know even I have a brother who is young, he's 25, and he did his studying in Japan. Racism is alive and well in Japan. I would be speaking to him on the phone and he'd say, Oh no. And I said, What's happening? He said, The cops are the cops are here. I said, Well what what's going on? They want to see my papers. He's doing nothing. He's standing up against the wall, you know, talking to me on the phone, and they want to see his papers. Yeah. Racially profiling him because he's a black, a young black man, and they want to know what he's doing there. Yeah. So that's alive and well everywhere. Everywhere. I've seen it in Japan. I've seen it in Cuba. Yeah. I've seen it all over the world where, where I've traveled. And black bodies, black men, we are, we're like an endangered species. Right. Victims. We victims. are victims. We're moving victims without recourse or protection. Yes. Yes. Even if something happens, it's reported, the first thing they do, they try to get your your history, where you arrested before, blah, like that makes it okay for you to be brutally experienced eight minutes and 46 seconds of deprivation of oxygen and dying. Right. So, yeah, it's real. Exactly. And I have to say, I, and I say this all the time to almost everybody we get into a conversation with, every black man in this country has had a run-in with the police in some way, somehow. Yeah. That's not normal. I mean, it's normal now. It's normal with us, but that's not a normal occurrence that should be happening, right? Or if not interaction with the police, just walking into a store and women holding their purses or moving to the other side of the store. So... We are, we are ultra sensitive to the fact that when we enter a space, people respond. And we always have to be very conscious about how we interact and relate in that space because right. people jump to assumptions. Right. Even if you're wearing a suit or you're wearing a do-rag, it's, it's no different. It really is. It's the same. Yeah. Yep. And I've learned, you know, Living here in New York, you don't know. A person could be wearing a do-rag 
They could be a millionaire. Yeah. You have no idea. Correct. You have no idea. But we're profiled everywhere we go. Right? It's sad. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, initiative with PUSH. What, how does that play out in, in your life? What is, what is going on in these countries like Guyana and, and you know, the Caribbean and things like that? You know, Guyana just had an election and it's, it's populated mostly with people from the African diaspora and people from India and the Asian diaspora. But it's a young democracy. It's just been 50 years of independence, but have really been able to coexist with each other. And this last election has really showed the the meanness, which it's interesting. It's like what's going on here right now in America mm -hmm. is going on right there between black and Indian people right. who have lived together for over 50 years and have intermarriages and live next door to each other. But unfortunately, politicians use the worst common denominator about us or between us to gain votes, like what Trump is doing right now. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of politics that's happening there. So it, it's important to know that they, the abomination of what Trump has done to America, it's just not here. It has spread throughout the fabric of the world. Of the world, yeah. He's given green light to people that don't think the way we do, that don't have the thoughts about who we are. And when you say stand back and stand by on national TV, it's now mystery that two weeks later you find out that these folks are go were going to kidnap two governors, right. two city governors. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting because... matters. Right. For those people who... This, you know, this podcast is pretty yeah, international. So for those people who don't know where Guyana is... It's a country in South America that's uh, part of the uh, European slave trade um, that is, correct. You, you know what I mean? And it has, is going through sort of racial tensions just like every other. It's considered part of the West Indies, but it's actually in South America. Correct. Correct. Right. So it's going through, you know, a number of changes. Correct. It's only in English-speaking country. English um, I want to talk a little bit about what the, what the health situation is there. I know that they haven't gone through the, the same COVID problems that we did. I think the peak of, uh, I think I have here, the peak of their, their COVID situation happened in September of this year, where they only had 133 mm -hmm. cases. How was that contained, do you think? Correct. How did they contain the, the numbers? They were extremely responsible. They've listened to the science, they followed the appropriate protocol, and they joined with the whole Caribbean region. And they all agreed that we're all going to close our borders, we're going to close our airports until further notice, because all of the cases derived from people coming into the country, from America, England, Canada. So when they did that, they were really able to contain the spread and people were practicing social washing hands, wearing yeah. masks, staying home, social distancing. And it's amazing that these are countries that are considered third world countries. Right. 
six months later, the death toll, I don't think the death toll within the whole Caribbean or within that whole region is 500. Right. Very six low. Months. Very low. And we are America who purports to be the the center of everything and, and have the best ideals have not accomplished that. So it, it just shows again, if the leadership show, the leadership introduce modeling and behavior modifications and what, what you need to do to protect yourself and make that the, the new cultural norm of the country, people will follow. Absolutely. They've done a really good job. Where are we in terms of the mental health part? Where are we in terms of you know, making this whole situation better, and and, and as people, no, we're not a good we're not in a good place in mental health. We historically were were really not socialized to talk about our feelings, as as especially as it relates to, to, to black men. We're not. There's really very little social tolerance for or spaces that we can go and ventilate about our feelings and about our fears. What I found interested within the last six months in my private practice of I've been seeing more black heterosexual men. And the conversations that we're having is really about having a space where they feel safe to talk about their fears, talk about the fear of walking in the street and being profiled or being shot or, and how that affects the way they relate to their children, how that, how, what words are they gonna to use to explain? I had a father about 35 years old with a five-year-old son looking at what's going on on TV and he's like, I don't have the words to explain to my son what this means and when is it the right time to have this, the, the, the conversation that we all have to have with our kids or our parents, have it as what it is to be black and what it is to shut up in spaces. And these men were really struggling, but because having this conversation tells, tells me I'm telling my child that they are not as good. Or having this conversation telling a five-year-old that because you're black, that's why you're being persecuted. Yep. It really toured, it broke them at the core because they felt at 35, I've lived enough, I can manage this, I can handle this. But to tell my five-year-old child that the world doesn't see him the way I see him. How do I make peace with that, have that conversation and still feel that I'm able to raise this person and have them feel safe because our parents are who make, makes us feel safe. Right. So if, if, if I can make my child feel safe, am I a man? Right. How can I protect him? How can you protect him? Well, I think that, you know, the important thing is that, you know, now men are doing that. We are having those conversations. Before, you know, it was unspoken. But it was, it's necessary conversations yes. for us to have. So I think that's the first step in helping us understand what's happening. Correct. Because... You know, throughout this whole thing, in addition to the Black Lives Matter movement, we're no longer just talking about things, we're actually taking action. And that's what the important key is. Yes. That's the important key. What's and that's what, gives, that's what gives me hope that despite of all the obstacles 
we are people that are have historically overcome the worst atrocities. Yes, yes. And I keep that, and that, that's been my, my the core message to my patients, or when I do a Zoom group, or, or do a speech, is that despite of all of those things, it is those things are not an excuse for us not to be great, for us not to go to school and get jobs and be functioning members of society. And I think it's hard to, I was having this discussion um, in a group in Guyana where there you're trying to bring your kids to America for a better life or a better job for prosperity. Right. In Guyana, they're pretty safe. There's no one attacking them because of race. And you bring these kids here, you tell them, oh, you, 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 when you go to America, you got to work hard, you got to do this. And you bring them here, and the reality for them is like, oh, I'm a black man. These, these are the things that I'm in danger of encountering. Right, yes. And imagine what, you, what, what does that do to your to a young man's sense of self. Right. I come here to go to college to get a better education, but when I get here, I'm more concerned about my safety just walking from my class to my dorm. Right. Think about what, what, what happens. Absolutely. It definitely impacts you. You know, it impacts your psyche. It impacts you the way you deal with people. And like we said earlier, you know, when you walk into a store, you're concerned about how people are viewing me. Why is this person following me? Like so many other factors go along with it, you know? But I also want to impart to people that despite the fact that we have lived our lives to be good citizens, respectable, and to be of service and to accomplish and not to be seen as an authentic being is still not an excuse not to be excellent. How do we make it better? What's, what's the solution? How do we start making the world see us as equal. By having this conversation and validating ourselves right. as equal, as right. 100% authentic. Because the world may never see us as equal. Right. But if we see our prosperity and education and service, yes, and service of our community locally and nationally, because I think we have lots of gifts. And when, and Revolution happens when people coalesce, work together, and push forward. Mm. And I want to end it with that, but I want to say a couple more things. So this, right now, this dialogue between me and you, this is a call to action for Black men to make it better, to give service, to create, to lend your time, to teach other Black men and other Black people in the Black community, Black and Brown, community about financial earning, financial gain, to, you know, help empower each other in learning the ways of this world so we can create a community for ourselves and prosper mentally, financially, everything. This is the call yes. to action right here, right now, today. And we can do it. Can we start by going out and vote? Vote. Definitely start by voting. That's our biggest, that's our most powerful action and just a reminder too we need to vote for the president but it's also 
on the Congress level. It's also for the assemblyman. Young ballot. These Young are the people, ballot. these everything. are everything. Yeah. When, when you have the primaries, when you have all those elections, get out and vote because these are the people who are, you know, giving you your voice to the law, to Congress, to Senate, to those are the ones. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Mr. Toll. And please tell everybody how we can get in touch with you. Uh, Shane Toll, um, Shane One at MSN. And I really should have like a, a website, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing all the, I've been doing all the work, and it it has really been happening. This is my like my third interview for today. And it's just word to mouth. People have just been reaching out, wanting someone to come with a, with a voice that lends support to mental health in black men and how we coalesce around an issue to empower us collectively. Absolutely. And I appreciate your time and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. For all of you who want more information, you can also reach out to Shane Toll. Um, you can also go to globalcitizen.org, find out more information about COVID and you know the practices and helping make people safe around the world. Also, inbox me at One Mike Knight on Instagram for One Mike Knight Talk. Hit us up with the hashtag One Mike Knight Talk so we can talk about these things. And if you want to come on the podcast and talk about issues that are important to our community, please reach out to me. You can find me at Marcos Luis. M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S on all social media and One Mike Knight, O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E on all platforms too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of One Mike Knight, the podcast. See you next time.